Hi everyone and welcome to the This Week in British History podcast. Before we get started, this is an audio version of the YouTube series This Week in British History, which is available on the British History Tours uh, uh, channel. So just to let you know that if you want to watch so that you also get the visuals, there is a link in the show notes on this podcast, which will give you the link to YouTube. But I've also recorded this, so in a way that I hope you can enjoy it fully also as a podcast. All right, let's get started. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of This Week in British History. This one is going to be a bit special because we're going to focus on one particular event which happened in 1215 and that is the sealing of Magna Carta that happened on the 15th of June 1215. And the reason I want to focus on this document is that it has endured and still affects our lives today in 2020. So we're going to go right back and have a look at what happened on the 15th of June 1215, what the document actually said, what it was like, what it meant, what it actually, we're going to look at the name Magna Carta as well and and what that actually um, meant then and we're going to go on to talk about how that name has evolved uh, in terms of its meaning and its significance and what it represents in our minds. Now, two years ago, I was actually at Runnymede where the Magna Carta was sealed on the 15th of June, on the 15th of June. So 2018, I was there on the 15th of June. So I'm going to intersplice today's uh, episode with some of the footage that I took while I was there as well. So it's going to be enjoyable, it's going to be intriguing I hope and you will probably want to go and find out, I hope you will want to go and find out even more after this video. So I have put lots of further reading, suggestions, um, sources, videos, books, um, all sorts, uh, websites um, below in the show notes for you to go and further your understanding. So 2015 saw the 800th anniversary of the sealing of Magna Carta and that is when my interest in it was pricked and the reason that I continued to develop my interest in Magna Carta and I still have a long way to go to um, to learn even more I am absolutely sure is that my understanding of Magna Carta was actually so far removed from the actual events right back in 1215 but also from how Magna Carta has been used throughout time and how it still affects us now. And so I thought you would be interested as well. And hence this episode is going to be dedicated to Magna Carta. So we're going to begin by going to Runnymede and finding out a little bit more about the Charter and about the place where it came into being. I've come to Runnymede on the 15th of June, the anniversary of the sealing of the first issue of Magna Carta in 1215 by King John. And the Magna Carta has stood at the test of time because of the essence of it, not necessarily the actual content of the charter that was drawn up in 1215. Now that charter was actually known as the Charter of Runnymede, where it was sealed. It didn't become known as Magna Carta until the introduction of the Forest Charter 
um, later on. And so you had two charters. And Magna Carta meaning great charter, not as in it was great, the great ideas, the you know, which kind of has taken on that idea since it was great as in the larger of the two charters. But for now it was known as the Charter of Renumede. And John put his seal on it on the 15th of June. It had begun on the 10th of June with uh, the document itself. It had begun, if you like, on the 10th of June with the original articles of the barons, which was effectively a list of demands from the barons about what they wanted the king to uh, abide by. That then set off uh, a series of shuttle diplomacy where different versions of the document would uh, be revised, sent to the opposite camps, revised again, and there would have been daily meetings here from the 10th of June. There are no contemporary accounts, unfortunately, so we are left to fill in some of the blanks. But there would have been daily negotiations until the 15th of June, where John decided to, when John decided to stick his seal on the, uh, on the document as it stood at that, at that point. And it seems that John did that without the barons sort of realizing that it was gonna happen there and then, because there's a clause in there that, um, that stipulates that 25 barons, one being the Lord Mayor of London, can, could hold John to account for the clauses in, in the charter. However, they were not named. So that's kind of an indication that that was not their final revision for the Magna Carta, for the charter uh, that became to be known as Magna Carta. But uh, that John, in a sort of take it or leave it now, stuck his seal on it. Now, he retracted it very, very quickly, well, immediately afterwards. Um, so I think it didn't really matter to John whether the final document uh, was the was fully negotiated because he had absolutely no intention of sticking to it anyway. Because immediately he, uh, he petitioned the Pope to annul it, to just get rid of it. He wanted it wiped off the face of the earth. Now, of course, by this point, you've already got copies in circulation. So it's not as easy as just saying, oh, no, never existed. Because uh, what would have happened is uh, that the, the, the original document would have been then uh, copied by scribes who then it went out to all the shires uh, over the country. We're not exactly sure how many of them were produced. Um, I've seen numbers ranging from 50 to hundreds. So, um, but we do know that four survive four legible copies survive from 1215. You have two in the British Library, one at Salisbury Cathedral, which is well worth a visit, and one at Lincoln Cathedral. There is also one from Canterbury, however that was damaged in a fire in the 1700s and uh, all the, the ink is no longer legible. It has been read um, through, um, I can't remember what they call it, the, 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 the clever spectral uh, camera um, that's been able to be to be read it is actually it's really sad because that's the only one with John's original seal still attached to it as well but anyway um, so that was 1215 but like I say it was immediately revoked by John uh, annulled by the uh, the Pope uh, Innocent III if annulled is the right word but effectively it, it it was tried to be it John tried to wipe it off the face of the earth um, it's really only because of John's death uh, from dysentery the following year and his, uh, his son coming to the throne, uh, Henry III, as a minor, only the age of nine, 
that actually ironically led to the, uh, the, the, the reinstatement of Magna Carta. Now what happened is uh, that Henry's regency, uh, he had a regent called William Marshall who was a powerful baron but also politically savvy. Really what he recognised was that he could use this this document that was already really, really important to the barons, so the powerful men of the country, this, this document meant so much. They'd gone to war with their king about it, you know. So they, it really meant a lot. And so what William Marshall decided to do was re, uh, reinstate this with a few changes as a royal document. So whereas before it began with the Articles of the Barons on the 10th of June where they effectively handed over a list of demands to the King and then the, the Magna Carta that was sealed on the 15th of June was a variation on that after, after negotiations. So, but it had started with a list of demands from the Barons. What William Marshall decided to do was take that document and give it a, and issue it as a royal document. So a this is what the monarchy, this is what the Crown these are the rules the Crown are willing to abide by. And this is this is what people can expect, this is their rights. And there were some very, very specific things, very um, local, um, local to the time and local to places in there that, you know, things about fishing um, weirs on the River Thames um, and things like that. So there was a mixture. There were obviously, when you read through them, they're just very there are things that are obviously very specific but really bugging really really important to particular people at that time um and so so it was it was um reissued like i say in uh, in 1217 uh it was reissued again in 1225 and it's the 1225 version that then went on to the statute book in 1297 when edward the um put his sort of agreement to it. This was a medieval English document that has travelled and has had significance beyond its own physical uh, self and because of the ideals, the emotions in it. Uh, and when I say emotions, I th my view of this is that the, the reason Magna Carta has endured is because it is a raw human emotion regarding fairness hi <laughs> regarding fairness who you know we know it doesn't feel fair if when we inherit we have to pay most of it over to the government part of the cl the clauses in uh, magna carta dealt with inheritance tax we uh, we don't want to feel that anyone is being arrested and held against their will for no reason being held without trial, without reason, was a clause in the Magna Carta. All these things, they're basically a raw human emotion or a um, consideration. We know what feels fair and what doesn't. And what Magna Carta did was write it down for the first time. Um, so Runnymede, uh, as you can see, is a field. <laughs> uh, I'm on the banks of the River Thames. If I turn it round, can you see the rivers behind me? But if you can see, that's the river anyway. So it's already an ancient uh, meeting place. Its name meant sort of a, um, a, a place for speech, a place for talking. Um, it was uh, it was it was good for other reasons as well. It was halfway between the king's camp at Windsor and the barons' camp in Staines. Um, we're about an hour away from London here. Um, 
So these negotiations weren't taking place in London. London was actually already captured by the barons at this point. John had lost London. Um, so he was, he was in his favourite castle in, in Windsor, which is about a seven minute drive from here. Um, so, many meet again. It was also uh, a kind of a, well, we're next to the river. Um, it was kind of boggy. So um, not a great place for either side to decide to launch an attack on the other. So it was kind of safety in that as well. Um, as you can see, there's a road that goes through it nowadays. Um, which I happen to think is a great shame. So here I have for you a facsimile of one of the 1215 Magna Carta's, so one of the original Magna Carta's. And this is one, uh, it's been a facsimile of one that's in the British Library. The British Library have two, uh, Salisbury Cathedral have one and Lincoln Cathedral have one. First of all, let's talk about why they're different. So this is the one that's in the British Library. It looks different in shape and, and, and style slightly to the others and that's because they were each unique. They're on parchment which is treated animal skin and the document shape size would be dependent on the shape of the animal skin. So there's one difference. Also the markings that you see um, on the parchment are the markings of the animal skin. So there's another uniqueness as well to the document. Each one was handwritten by a scribe. So again, you have a uniqueness there in the, uh, the, the handwriting um, and probably, I imagine, um, differences in with odd mistakes, such like as you get with, uh, with copied documents. The document is written in Latin and you'll see that although we think of Magna Carta as having uh, numbered clauses because that's how it's translated for ease, you'll see that actually on the document itself there is continuous writing. It's not set out in paragraphs or spaced out in any way. And that was purely down to saving space. Like I say, the parchment is an animal skin and it's expensive, it's time to produce. So, and there were a lot of these to copy and send out to the shires. So, to save space, there the writing is all continuous. It's written in Latin. The document is four and a half thousand words long and it's it's broken down into 63 clauses by modern numbering. Like I say, it's all continuous, continuously written, but there's 63 different clauses. This is the 1215 version. So this is the original version and the version that never got very far. It was, and um, it was revoked by Pope Innocent III within weeks of it being issued. Um, he and John had made up after Pope Innocent III had actually excommunicated John. They'd made up. England was under the overlordship of the Pope and the Pope wanted John to fight on the Crusades with him. So there's, um, there was reasoning behind Pope Innocent III's support of John when he wanted to pull this document. 
throughout medieval England, the Magna Carta was revived and reissued at certain times, um, generally when they needed to, well always, when needed to be a reassertion of the, um, the power balance between the king and the people, whoever the people were included in that definition at that time, depending on, uh, on when it was. Um, and it was a reassertion of the king's promises to rule, almost a, a rule by consent. You know, you, we, yes, you can rule, but there's things that you need to do if you're going to be, um, if we're all going to be happy while you're doing that. And, um, and it, I think the fact that it comes up again and again is an indication that the kings weren't actually that good at keeping to their promises. And then after the medieval period, it goes a little bit quiet on the Magna Carta front um, until the 17th century. There are um, there is a, a, a reference to Magna Carta in a, a, a law about weights and measures um, under the rule of uh, time of Henry VII, the first Tudor king. Interestingly, in Shakespeare's play King John, it doesn't mention Magna Carta. Perhaps the Tudor and early Stuart period, um, I'm not sure when King John was written, um, was not the time to remind people um, uh, that, uh, that in the past people had been able to hold their monarch to account. But we don't go that far into the reign of the Stuarts before Magna Carta becomes very important. And I think it's from this period that we probably get our interpretation of what Magna Carta means from. I think this was the seeds of it. And these are, of course, the English civil wars, with Charles I on the throne being accused of tyranny um, and ruling without um, due process. Due, due, um, he, he wasn't calling Parliament, he wasn't um, consulting with the representatives of the people. So it became really important, and the opposition to Charles I were looking for something that to use to demonstrate Charles's behaviour that, that Charles's behaviour was wrong. Magna Carta provided the perfect uh, vehicle for this. Not only did it sh could it be said that Charles was betraying the terms of the Magna Carta, the terms between you know that, that had been set between. A, a, the monarch, the crown and his people, but this was an ancient document so it was sort of a double whammy. He was, um, uh, he was cutting through that relationship in the time but also through an established ancient agreement. Magna Carta owes quite a lot, I, I would say, to a lawyer at this time called Sir Edward Cook, spelt Coke, but I'm assured it's uh, pronounced Cook, and for its sort of totemic status that it develops. In my reading, seems to be the first one to refer to Magna Carta in terms of its size, which I think is where we get this idea that it's the Great Charter, as in the Brilliant Charter, or um, Americans, I don't think, use the word brilliant, so the, um, the, the fantastic charter, the, the, you know, for the content. I don't think before that it was referred to as that because it was more of a description of it. But he refers to it um, as, uh, so I'm going to read this, not for its largeness, but for its weight. 
and he said that in the House of Commons. So in terms of so when he talks about the weight of it, you know, he's he's no longer describing the document as a great charter or a larger charter to the smaller charters that were the Forest Charter and um, but that it was it held weight, it it had gravitas. It was also during this period that we get the belief that there was uh, some sort of linear sequential process by which England went from tyranny through to liberty and freedom. And then in the 17th century, the word of Magna Carta or the ideals, the legend of Magna Carta as Dan Jones describes it, actually travels, physically travels with the founding fathers over the Atlantic to their settlements. Now it's more the ideals that Magna Carta was communicating than the actual content of the document itself. But still, this, these were fledgling communities that needed or wanted some sort of written down constitution. And then in the 18th century, we have American independence and the, uh, the Bill of Rights written into the um, American Constitution, heavily um, based on the ideals that are in Magna Carta. Um, and, and some of the language is, is, is sort of similar, recognisable. So you have um, the no taxation without representation um, or without consent, sorry, um, and no imprisonment without um, due process. Important rules, I suppose, set down as to how people living in the country can expect their lives to be governed. And so Magna Carta became, it was already, but remains important, especially over in America, because it helped underpin the most important, I imagine if you're from America, please tell me if this is true or not, um, document in terms of your country and how it's set up and the, how everyone is, um, how the, the population and the, um, your ruling class, government, however you want to um, uh, put it, um, what that interaction looks like. So when I was at Runnymede, I did do a quick video on the monument there, um, paid for by the American Bar Association. So let's have a look. Here is the monument that you might recognise from Runnymede. And it was put here by the American Bar Association. It is made of English granite, or it's the, uh, the pillar in the middle. Um, is and I think that just goes to show just how important Magna Carta became uh, actually outside of England this medieval document uh, of you know an English medieval document the way it has traveled around the globe and especially um, you know is important uh, in America uh, it, it, taken over by the Pilgrim Fathers and, and you know, it's, I, th I think you would probably find that the Americans know a little bit more about Magna Carta generally than the English do. Um, it wasn't until the, um, the, the 800 years commemoration in, two, in 20, two, sorry, 2015 um, that really I heard Magna, talk, Magna Carta talked about um, kind of in, in general. So Magna Carta has been referred to, um, alluded to, revived, um, whatever was required for all sorts of movements um, and causes throughout the centuries. Um, Nelson Mandela 
quoted Magna Carta uh, during his trial in 1967. The suffragettes um, talked about Magna Carta. Magna Carta was used on both sides of the slavery argument and this really surprised me when I first started looking into Magna Carta. Because of the, um, uh, the, the clauses in there about freedom and, and we think of it as liberty, you know, this, this document of liberty and freedom, um, I did automatically assume that Magna Carta would have been um, used on the side of the argument uh, for the abolition of slavery and obviously the slave trade. And in fact, it was, but it was more strongly used uh, on the opposition side. And this opposition to the abolition of slavery um, led to, or the, the, the clauses in, in Magna Carta about no man shall be deceased of his property without due compensation, I've, I've shortened it there, um, was used on the side of, uh, or the arguments of the slave owners. Now that was a successful argument. It led to £17 billion, pounds in today, equivalent in today's money, being paid out in compensation to slave owners for their loss of, and I'm, I'm going to do the whole cliche thing here, property. Every man, woman, child, slave um, had a figure put on their head based on, um, on their sex, their age, um, their skill and um, what plantations they were, they were working on. Um, and the slave owners were paid that compensation. It amounted to 40% of the government spend in the year that it was paid out, a massive amount of money. Um, so I was quite shocked actually when I heard that Magna Carta had been used um, to argue that, um, that people were being deceased of their property. So it's a very interesting topic. It's huge. It's a huge topic. Um, and I think its importance has endured because it does, it's almost a byword for freedom and liberty and um, democracy, which in fact, it actually doesn't even refer to any democratic process in it, but it stands for that in our collective conscious, in our memories, um, in our beliefs. And that is why it is so important and why it is so enduring. So I would argue that it almost doesn't matter what the original document stated, because it is that essence, it is that legend, as Dan Jones calls it. Um, he also uh, referred to the myth of Magna Carta um, in his book, which is, there's a link in the show notes. Um, and it is that that has meant that it's so important to people and it is so enduring because it almost, as I say, it almost doesn't actually matter what it said in the beginning because we can hopefully all agree that these are aspirations that we wish for this world and what Magna Carta looks to give us is an idea that it is attainable. And let's all hope that that is absolutely true.
Thank you so much for joining me for this special episode of This Week in British History, dedicated to looking at or introducing you actually to the Magna Carta. Um, hopefully you've grasped just how um, big a topic, a subject Magna Carta is because of the way it has endured and why it has endured over over now 800 years and what it means to us today, how it's been used. Hopefully it has pricked your interest and you are um, well, you would like to go and learn more. And if you do, then please look in the show notes. I have put um, many sources in there. If you come across some great sources as well, please put them in the comments and that will help everyone um, expand their learning. Um, but for now, if you um, are not subscribed, please subscribe, please hit the bell. Um, perhaps give this uh, video a thumbs up if you've got this far, I'm presuming you've quite liked it. Um, if you write in the comments, I do endeavour to reply to all my comments. Sometimes I'm a little bit delayed. I'm sorry about that, but I will get round to everybody. Um, and if you want more of a daily uh, history hit from me, then please come and find me on Facebook or Instagram and Pinterest. I'm also trying to use a bit more now as well. But for now, take care and have a great week. And I'll see you next time.